Bhagavad Gita is a book of mankind's collected experience of and answers to life's most basic questions. Who I am? From where do I come? What is my purpose and destiny? And most practically, how do I find happiness? These podcasts originate in the lectures of Neil Bhatt, a disciple of Swami Chinmayananda. They are presented here in 20 to 30 minute segments, each covering three of the Gita's 701 verses. Welcome to Gita Wisdom for Daily Living. So we had been discussing chapter 7, Gnana Vignana Yoga, Yoga of Knowledge and Wisdom. Last chapter, chapter 6, Dhyana Yoga, at the end of chapter 6, the last advice Bhagavan gave was, Sraddhavan Yome Bhajate Maam Teme Yukta Tamo Mataha. In my opinion, the one who worships me with Sraddha, is the best among all the yogis. And then he opened this chapter also by saying, Mai Asaktamanaha Partha Yogam Yunjam Mat Asrayaha Asansayam Samagramma Yathagnasisi Tatsrano. So he's emphasizing even here that one whose mind is aligned with me and one who has taken refuge in me, such a person will come to realize the truth. He will be liberated from this limitation. Now the problem is that unless we know the person, you cannot love the person. Devotion is nothing but the love for divine. And the love is nothing but identification. We cannot identify with someone we have no idea about. So we need to know who that Mai is referring to. We need to know, everybody says, I love Bhagwan, I love God, all religious people, they nobody will say, I hate Bhagwan, you know, only when you're mad at him, when something is not going right with you. Well, we love Bhagwan, but why do you love Bhagwan and what is the, what is the basis of your love? The love only comes when we identify with people, we can only identify, we know about the person or a thing or a being. So unless we know Bhagwan, all my claims about I love Bhagwan is actually does not hold any water. He says, oh, do you know anything about Bhagwan? I say, no. Have you ever met Bhagwan? No. Then how can you say I love Bhagwan? It's like me saying I love somebody in Russia. I don't know the person. So Bhagwan, if I want to identify with him, I need to know what is the nature of the Lord? What is the nature of that self which is constantly emphasizing in his teachings up till now? So this chapter gives us his identification so that we can find him in our environment which we live in and then identify with him. So the next three verses starting from verse 4 basically gives his identity. So the first thing he said is Bhumi, Apaha, Analaha, Vayuhu, Kam, Manaha, Buddhihi, Evacha, Ahankar, Itiyamme, Bhinna, Prakriti, Astada. This is my eightfold manifest nature. 
This is something you can identify with, something you can find in your own world. Because we want proof, we want to see the person, if the person exists, that, you know, in your internet, when you're trying to go on some site to uh, log on to, they give you this little clumsy code, so that they, we want to see whether you're a real person or a computer. Because you want to know, is Bhagwan real or not? We need to have some test. So Bhagwan said the test is, you can see me in your own world. That my manifest nature is eightfold, which you can say, Bhumi, starting from Bhumi, translated as Earth. But it's basically matter, the solid matter which I can touch and feel. Is Bhumi, then, then Apaha. Now it goes into succession from grosser to the subtler. Matter is something solid I can perceive, feel, touch. So Bhumi. Apaha. Water is something I can touch and feel but does not have any shape to it. Analaha. Cannot hold it in a bucket. Vayuhu. Air. I cannot see it but feel it. Come. Space. Then mind, intellect and ahankar. This constitutes my manifest world. Now we can all vouch for it they all eight exist. I know solid matter. I know water. I know fire. I know air. I know space, I also know mind, my intellect, and my ego. This is, in our Sankhya philosophy, an attempt to describe the world the sages were living in. The sages were trying to understand what is the nature of this Almighty is. So all they can obviously do is observe the nature. They came to the conclusion that everything in this world, even though seems so different from each other, have underlying unity, that they are made up of the same elements. Just like we can see the water and ice look so different from each other, but now we know from our high school chemistry, they both are nothing but H2O. So the sages realize that everything is made up of the same basic building blocks in this universe. And those building blocks they call Panchamahabhuta, the five great elements. So something which is solid, something water, fire, they made them as basic elements and they call them tanmatras, tadmatra, that alone, the primordial element of this world. These elements go through according to their science, panchihikarana, fivefold integration. Those of you who learned tattvabodh and atmabodh, it says that basic five elements, which is bhumi, Apaha, Anala, Vayu, and Kama, the five basic elements. In their primordial state, the each one is one, then they split into two. So now you have ten halves of the five elements. One half of each element remains intact, other half split into four more parts. And then each one, that one remaining half of that element, merges one-eighth of that other element makes it a perceptible element. So that's called a grossification of this element. In the world which we can perceive through our mind and intellect is made up of the grossified five elements. So this body is made up of the grossified five elements. Bhumi, Yapa, Analaha, Vaihu, Kam. Mind and intellect are also made up of the same element, not different. 
we can't really perceive them. If somebody says your mind is made of the same material as your body, no, that's not true. But according to them is true. Everything is made up of five elements. Everything which I can perceive, feel, and touch are made up of the same five elements. So the mind and intellect are also made up of the same five elements except prior to this punchification, prior to this panchihikarana. In their primordial state of those five elements forms the mind and intellect. So they are the subtle elements and therefore we call it a subtle body. So our existence in this world is obviously divided into three bodies. One is the gross body, which everybody can perceive. Subtle body when only I am aware of it. And then ahankar. Ahankar is part of the subtle body, which is this is the identification of this subtle body with this gross body. Makes it ahankar. And then causal body, avidya. Where my source is, I'm not aware of it. That's the avidya, the causal body. The very fact that I'm not aware of my source creates the rest of the world for me. So these eight are basically the manifest aspect of the Almighty Lord, which you and I can perceive, feel, and think. So if somebody says, have you seen Bhagavan? You can say, yeah, I have. Every day I see him all over the place. But he says that I am something different than my other aspect, which is unmanifest. So the same Bhagwan can be now described in two aspects. One is manifest, one is unmanifest. The manifest is called Prakriti, and the unmanifest is called Purusha in the Sankhya philosophy. Now we can also vouch for it at our micro level. I have this manifest prakriti, which is obviously you can see my body, how tall, how short. You can also vouch for my mind. I get the agitated. You can also vouch for intellect. I can only vouch for my aham, ahamkar. You know. But all these are functioning only as long as I'm alive. That part which we call life is something other than all this which we have described. These five great elements at our level are also identified five sense organs. So each one is associated with one element. And then mind, buddhi, and ahankar. So this is at the manifest level. But the life force in me is unmanifest. Even though it makes this body function, this mind function, this intellect function, but not visible. Therefore all this you know, experiments about when people die, what happens, where their life goes. You know, I have read some quirky books in my young age. Nobody can figure out what is that life force which leaves this body. Or at least that's what we feel, leaving this body. That's the unmanifest purusha, the consciousness. That and this manifest makes who I am. My consciousness and my eightfold prakriti makes me who I am. At the macro level, it makes the Lord omnipotent, omnipresent Lord in the same way. The eightfold prakriti which I know as the world and that which makes this world function with all its laws and thermodynamics as we talked about. The question is whether is the Lord who created this world created out of what? 
only material he is available was his own self. There is no other material available for him to create this Jagat. So the only hypothesis is that he created this world out of his own self. That's the only material he can use. If he created himself as this world out of himself, did he lose control? Did he become like a hull? When he is David, he is not Hulk or the scientist. Or when he is scientist, he is not Hulk. Since the Bhagwan is Bhagwan, and then he creates the world, he becomes world, he loses control. And I the answer is no. He has the control. He creates this world and remains in control. We can vouch for it by the laws of nature. There are laws in this universe. It's not a chaos. It works like a clockwork by the laws of nature. If the laws of nature is somebody in control, we can only know if the laws are following Hendrigo County as long as the police are around. So as long as the law enforcement, the laws are followed. So if we think that everything is going per law and order, we know that the enforcement is pretty strict here. In nature, enforcement is 100% guaranteed. That means there is somebody in, in charge of it. So he remained in control of this universe. So this transformation between him in charge and him being the world is more like that snake in a rope. When I see as a snake, when I'm deluded about the reality, I see it as a snake. When I'm aware of its reality, I see it as a rope. So this world, when I see it as prakriti, I see it as world of plurality through my ignorance. With knowledge, I'll see him as the Purusha. So these two aspects, the Purusha which makes this Prakriti function and Prakriti which is the only manifestation, only instrument the Purusha has to function. The consciousness can only function through me as long as this body, mind and intellect are there. So therefore I say, apara ayam itaha tu anyam prakritim vidhime param. This manifest world is very real to you and that you consider to be my manifestation but know that my higher prakriti is different than this lower prakriti. In our Gujarati we call prana anaprakriti, right? In Gujarati we say prana anaprakriti sathe jai. Prana and prakriti stays together and lives together. So my prana will leave, my prakriti, whatever my tendencies are, will go with it. Prana and prakriti, they are the two aspects of the same reality. So the purusha and prakriti are the same aspect of the same reality, seen from two different perspectives. From one end it looks as if it's a pluralistic universe, other point of view, it's a singularity. Apara yam tuhu anyam. Prakritim vidhi me param. From this manifest prakriti, my higher nature is different. Jiva bhutam mahabaho. I am the essence of all the jivas. A living being is only a living being as long as that purusha is functioning through him. So the jiva bhutam mahabaho. Yaya idam dhariyate jagat. 
that is which is upholding the entire universe is the Purusha. As long as there is Purusha, you will be able to see this world. My world exists today because I am conscious. You are here, class is going on, nice weather outside. All that is happening to me. Why? Because I am conscious about it. The moment my consciousness is dropped, this world will go into nothingness. When you give me chloroform, I am not there, nor my world is there, because I am not conscious about my world. So he said, Yaya idam dharyate jagat. The entire world is upheld by this higher prakriti. Your world is in existence because you are conscious. My world is in existence because I am conscious. If all of us are unconscious, there is no world. My higher prakriti upholds the entire jagat, as you know. Etad yoni nibhutani sarvani iti upadharaya. Know that these two, purusha and prakriti, unmanifest consciousness and manifest nature are the womb of all the beings. If one is missing, there is no being. There is no creation. So this two has to come together, Purusha and Prakriti. So therefore sometimes Prakriti is the female aspect of the Lord, Purusha is the male aspect of the Lord. The one and the same entity seen from two different perspectives. They are the womb of all the beings in this world. Aham krutsnasya jagataha prabhavaha pralaya tata. I am the source of all the beings of the entire jagat. And I am all the place for dissolution of the entire jagat. We can see it from two different perspectives. I say, I can see from my perspective, the world of my being comes into existence when I am aware of it. When I am in a waking state, this world of waker, the world as we know as a real world, comes into existence. When I go to sleep, this world does not exist. Then the dream world comes into existence. Then when the dream goes away and I'm in a deep sleep, no world exists. Even I don't exist. I'm not aware of myself. I'm not aware of the dream world. I'm not aware of the waking world. So the world comes into being when I wake up in the morning. In the pralayaha, when I go to sleep, the world goes away. So this consciousness, the awareness in me, the source of my world to come into existence, it is the place the world dissolves. Now that can be seen from the cosmic point of view of uh, the creation and dissolution of this universe. From our scientific point of view, the world came into existence at the time of Big Bang, and it's expanding. I think I recently read somewhere that somebody says contracting, but I'm not sure. But eventually it will contract, as for uh, physicists like Sid, right, Sid? The world will expand in the contract. It's, not, it's not still expanding. Oh, it's still expanding, yeah. but, but someday. Eventually it has to. It has to, right? It has to, according to the, uh, the Indian philosophy yeah. of cycles. I was just reading some astronomy thing, and it says that now the distance between the stars are lesser than what it used to be before. Therefore, but we know for sure that the world which is expanding will contract and go back to the singularity again. That's the nature of the science. So the world comes into existence and then dissolves. And according to our scriptures, 
it's a cyclical world. So it continues to go through the cycles of coming to existence in pralaya. And but once I am the source of pralaya and creation for this entire universe. So either at a micro level or a macro level, the world only comes into being as long as the consciousness is there. So therefore, Bhagwan is trying to make the distinction between the manifest and the unmanifest. But also trying to tell us that there is no really difference between the two. They are the two aspects of the same entity which we call Bhagwan, the Almighty, the Brahman. But the manifest aspect, at least we can vouch for it. We can start from there, identifying with this manifest world and recognizing the unity that the same Lord which is functioning through me is functioning through him, her and all of that. And that's how we can start identifying and de- developing that divinity that we can worship the Lord. With that we'll stop here. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukina Sarve Santu Niramayaha Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Makaschit Dukkha Bhagbave Om Shantihi 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 Harihi Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Hiyo